Hello, it's David here, and thank you for listening to The Leader. Now, we're getting loads of new listeners at the moment, so I wanted to say thanks to all those who have subscribed, liked, and shared the show. Those tiny acts are making a big difference. And you can get in touch with us too. Just use the hashtag The Leader Podcast on social media. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Coronavirus rises, so a new social clampdown could be coming to London and other parts of England. There's huge amounts of anxiety, and unfortunately there's good reasons. Infection rates are getting worse, there's a fear that hospitalisations will come back. And underlying all of this is a really blunt choice. Associate Editor Julian Glover on the dilemma facing the government and the country. And... It's totally fake news. Made up fake We went through the same stories. You could have asked me the same questions four years ago. I had to litigate this and talk about it. He says it's not true, but Donald Trump's tax bill may finally have been revealed. Will it make any difference to the US election? Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, why further lockdown restrictions could be on their way. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reid, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The government is reportedly planning to enforce a ban on socialising and household mixing across London and parts of England to help curb the spread of coronavirus. Under the new emergency lockdown, all bars, restaurants and pubs would be told to shut for two weeks initially, while households would be banned indefinitely from meeting indoors. Schools, offices and shops would stay open. Downing Street officials say nothing is imminent. But Health Minister Helen Waitley has told interviewers the government will do whatever is necessary to bring coronavirus back under control. Our editorial column says people need to be prepared. So what happens next? Hard lockdown or muddle on through and hope? It's a grim choice. Long after this is all over, we will debate which route would have been best. Every option will do harm. The Evening Standard stands for an open, active, creative London, 
Our instinct is to keep alive the things which give our city its distinct magic, the chance to meet and the life of our streets. We don't want to destroy our city in order to save it, but it is obvious that in the next few weeks, perhaps for the rest of this coming winter, there are going to be restrictions, some of them heavier than now. Not all life will be locked down, but until testing works or a vaccine arrives, new limits on what we can do are unavoidable. Well, our associate editor Julian Glover is here, and Julian, with everything that's going on, and we've talked a lot about muddled messaging on this podcast, anxiety must be enormous across London and the country. There's huge amounts of anxiety, and unfortunately there's good reasons. Infection rates are getting worse. There's a fear that hospitalisations will come back. We're seeing small signs of that already. The government keeps changing the rules. There's warnings that if people don't get it right, things are going to get harder. And underlying all of this is a really blunt choice. It's not a simple choice because there's a case for for both sides. And in one direction, we're heading into a very severe situation. You can see what's happening in France about 25 days ahead of us. And there's a huge series of political rows about how to shut stuff down. So the argument here would be get in ahead, try and bring infection down before it spreads too rapidly. And on the one hand, that's a no-brainer. We all complained when the government didn't seem to lock down fast enough in March. We said if only we'd done it a week earlier, we would have saved a lot of lives. Well, we're back in that position now, perhaps. But on the other hand, there's a really clear thing, which is if you do that, You'll start shutting things that have opened. You'll be closing pubs and restaurants for the second time. They probably won't survive, many of them. A second closure, particularly in winter with no immediate prospect of opening. Uh, You'll be shutting down things like the Victoria and Albert Museum. Worked really hard to get that open, make it safe. Are we seriously going to unwind all of that? We haven't got furlough. So the damage could be massive to our economy, to people's happiness, to their mental health, to their ability to get treated for all sorts of other diseases like cancer. We've seen a huge collapse in referrals for cancer treatment. So you could make the argument that actually that damage is massive and underlying it, we've got some idea of how to manage coronavirus in hospital. We know who's most at risk. We can test care homes. We can try and protect the most vulnerable whilst allowing everybody else to get on with their lives. And you can make the argument either way. Unfortunately, it has to be resolved and it will never be straightforward to be resolved. People will always be unhappy with the outcome. The test now is which way do we go? And in some ways, because nobody's going to be happy with how we do things, it's kind of vital that we don't so much keep calm and carry on, but we do have a kind of national psyche that will get us through this. So we understand that it will come to an end. Yes. I mean, I guess we can, we can look beyond and, and, say, and say, let's hope that it'll get better. There's the much-wanted vaccines that will, at some point, begin to give some relief. I think people are quite confident now there will be a vaccine which gives some protection to some people at some point. But it isn't about to turn up in the next few weeks, and even if it did, inoculating everybody would be an impossible task. The practicalities of that are hard, and it's not yet clear how much protection it would give. That tips the argument a bit towards those people who say we can't give up life now and hope for it to get better in the end because this is the new normal. We have to actually get out there and keep doing stuff and build up that rather unpleasant phrase herd immunity if such a thing exists. And herd immunity, of course, might mean a smaller herd. It's a horrible, horrible idea that it's a sort of survival of the fittest. Um, But there's a big 
big argument in favour of doing that. Uh, in the end, I think, in the short term, we're going to see more restrictions. And the leader today, the Evening Standard, says more restrictions will come in. But alongside that, we need a proper understanding of freedom, not just a sort of vague defence of the word, but we need the sense that there now needs to be processes. We're in this for the long term. This can't just be about ministers at night issuing laws as they did last night. A whole series of new things became illegal overnight. Did the police know about that? Did Parliament know about it? Did the public know about it? No. And of course, if we don't know the law, how are we supposed to follow it? Many, many things now seem to be happening in private in this government without much reference to the public, without any reference to Parliament. You could put that down to Brexit as well. So we need processes to deal with this but in the short term we probably do need to accept that there are going to be some restrictions heavier than they are today however horrible that's going to be one thing i want to bring up with you julian is that in the the column today we say that the easiest thing is to complain and you've mentioned that also in our chat here but i, I don't know Julian. i think complaining in some ways can be a good thing it's cathartic a good moan about all the restrictions with our friends with our neighbors can help can't it it can. And remember, well, you won't remember in person, but in the Second World War, which we now look on falsely as this sort of heroic time of British perfect leadership, uh, people spent the whole time complaining. Lots of people went on strike. Workers went on strike quite often. Uh, when there were by-elections, uh, Labour didn't run against the Conservatives and vice versa. So all sorts of independents won by-elections. People were really rebellious. And there's no shame in that. It's a good thing. I don't think people should shut their mouths or not criticise the government. The government has totally messed this up. They've made loads of things up. The Prime Minister is absolutely useless and will remain useless until he ceases to be Prime Minister, which will happen at some point. And the worse coronavirus gets, the sooner that point will come. But it isn't going to be helpful to the impact on our lives next week, next month, up to Christmas, into early New Year, to say, if only test and trace was great, or if only we shielded care homes better, or if only schools were prepared, or if only universities had some magical way to, to to not be what universities are, which is a point place where young people gather to discuss things and learn things and enjoy themselves. But there's no point pretending the world is other than it is. The government has said things are going to get better very soon, when they've known that they won't. If you talk to officials, they've been preparing for a second wave, trying to worry about a second wave for months. But people weren't told that. We were told to eat out, to help out. We were told... You know, it's your job to go back to work. Now, there's, there is a role in politics about optimism, but downright evasiveness and dishonesty isn't the same. So the complaint should be about the things we were promised were going to be better. It can't be about the reality of a very difficult fight. So there is a slightly British feeling sometimes that we've messed up unbelievably about many things in life, including COVID, and that if only we were somewhere else it would all be fine well it's not great in the netherlands it's not great in belgium it's terrible in spain so it may be that there's certain things could have been done better in britain and we can certainly list them we could have been told the truth better in britain but in the end the reality is the reality and so just complaining about small things that might have been different won't really get us through saying should we leave pubs at 10 p.m or should we leave pubs at 11 p.m in the end you can make the case both ways that isn't going to be the big difference between a horrible winter and a still quite horrible winter, but a winter with a bit of hope. Next. He spent $70,000 on his hair last year, um, which is 10 times the amount, more than 
10 times the amount that he paid in tax. If Donald Trump's really not spending money on tax, where else is his cash going? Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The IRS does not treat me well. They treat me like the Tea Party, like they treated the Tea Party. And they don't treat me well. They treat me very badly. Uh, you have people that in the IRS, very, they treat me very, very badly. Under siege at the White House press conference, Donald Trump attacked the U.S. tax office. As the New York Times reported, he'd paid the IRS just $750 in the year he won the presidential election. The newspaper has other revelations, including pointing out a consultancy payment of nearly $750,000 by the Trump organization exactly matches a sum Ivanka Trump declared on her public disclosure form when she joined the White House. She recorded it was received from a consultancy firm. The Evening Standard's Susanna Butter is with me. Susanna, it's clearly big news in the States, but have the Democrats been able to seize the momentum here? Biden's done one tweet. He's kind of quite good at not going on, but when he takes aim, it's targeted and it's punchy. So he said, teachers paid... $7,239. Firefighters paid $5,283. Nurses paid $10,216. Donald Trump paid $750. It's like a real mic drop. What else does he need to say? And then his campaign have also released some badges, knocked up very quickly, um, that say, I paid more income tax than Donald Trump, and they're available for $5 from the Biden website. So it's interesting that he has decided to employ this when kind of with the Supreme Court appointing a new justice to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, he didn't wade in. He just said, do what your conscience tells you. Whereas with this, I mean, he he knows he's in the lead, but with the debate coming up on Thursday, he's quite rightly, I think, chosen to pick up on this. But Susie, Donald Trump has been through so many alleged scandals and so much has been said about him. And yet, no matter what is said, that base of his just doesn't seem to shift. Teflon Don. <laughs> um, yeah, as you say, like, what's going to get him? They've, they've tried everything, but, you know, sex scandals couldn't get him. Will this, I mean, I suppose he does sell himself as the business candidate, knowing, and a lot of people want to vote from him on the basis that he's got, a tr- they thought he had a track record on making a profit, and he clearly doesn't. He's made chronic losses to avoid paying tax. Um, so maybe this is different. I mean, it's sort of unlikely. I mean, it's people who read the New York Times who expose this are less likely to vote for Trump. That means will it have a limited reach? Who knows? Yeah, that debate's going to be really interesting because Donald Trump's going to have to use that to try and pull in some of those undecideds. There aren't so many of them as there were in 2016 when a lot of people had some questions about Hillary Clinton. And he's going to need most if not all of them in order to overturn what the polls are saying is quite a big Biden lead. And I noticed that he's already 
come out fighting. He's accused Joe Biden of using performance-enhancing drugs and demanded a drugs test before it. Um, and just tweeting fake news as his response to this and kind of, oh, I paid a lot. It's typical Trump. He's not going to change, is he? He spent $70,000 on his hair last year, which is 10 times the amount, more than 10 times the amount that he paid in tax. Um doesn't even look that good, does it? <laughs> so there are serious questions over his economic policy, which, if it starts at home, um, isn't, isn't partic- doesn't show particularly good judgment. But then I suppose the polls only tell us so much. Voters can, can change their minds. They can not tell the truth in the polls. They can be all the shy Trump voters. So we'll see. <laughs> And that's the leader. You can keep up with all the latest developments with the Evening Standard's live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. And we also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Listener.